Welcome to the Emerald City Sportscast, hosted by longtime Northwest sports journalist Dan Viennes. News, analysis, and opinions from Dan and his guests on the Mariners, Seahawks, Kraken, and more. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Hey, what's up, everybody? Little rare uh, edition of Emerald City Sportscast After Dark. Listen, I've been meaning to do a show for a couple of weeks. I uh, was going to do one a couple of days ago, but shit happens. Stuff comes up. Sometimes I get better offers than doing a podcast. Sorry. Don't be offended. Love you guys. But hey, it's time to start talking about some stuff again. There's a lot coming up, okay? We are now nine days away from the first round of the, C- of the uh, NFL draft in which the Seattle Seahawks have a top 10 draft pick. We're going to dive deep into that today. I'm going to do my first mock draft of the year. We're going to do it live. We're going to do it live on the show. Trades included. We're going to use the Draft Network uh, and their amazing draft mock draft simulator. Uh, we're going to see how that works out. And we're going to use some interesting new information from Jason Locke and Fora of CBS Sports that indicates that the Seahawks may be leaning quarterback this year in the draft after all. We'll get into that in a little bit. But first, we're going to talk some Seattle Mariners. We are now 11 games into the season. And after tonight, the Seattle Mariners are 6-5. and five, A 6-2 to two win tonight against the Texas Rangers at home. Fourth game of the homestand. Uh, opening a three-game set against the Rangers, who dropped to 2-8 and eight on the season. For those of you, and we, we'll get into this discussion in a couple of weeks, I want a little bigger sample size before we get too deep into this. But if y'all remember, and I know you do, Texas Rangers went out and made some big splashes this offseason in the free agent market, signed Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager to huge contracts. A lot of Mariners are wringing their hands. Wringing their hands. Why didn't we spend that kind of money? Why didn't we sign those guys? Why didn't we sign Trevor Story? Why didn't we sign Chris Bryant? Well, things are looking pretty good for the Seattle Mariners. So we're going to start there, okay? We're going to talk about the first week and a half of the Seattle Mariners season delayed as it was because of the lockout. The Mariners now 6-5 and five on the season after tonight's win over Texas. Over the weekend, they take two out of three against the hated and dreaded Houston Astros. My thoughts on that in a minute. But first, let's kind of break down just the nuts and bolts of that series. They take two out of three from Houston. Two of the three wins, the, the two wins, blowout wins. 11-2 on opening night, 7-2 Sunday. I was at the ballpark on that one. Unbelievable day for baseball. And let me just tell you this. I don't want to bury the lead. The Seattle Mariners were the better baseball team over the last couple of days. They were just flat out the better baseball team. You look at them against the Houston Astros now. The rotation's better. The bullpen's better. I think the lineup's better. And you can argue that the Astros are off to a really slow start. Some of those guys are going to are going to regress back or not regress. They're going to progress back to the mean and and look more like the back of their baseball card as we get into this. But the Mariners also played two out of those three games without Mitch Haniger. Arguably their best hitter. They're the better team. And this was kind of the timeline ever since 2018. This was part of the reason that Jerry DePoto convinced ownership to do a rebuild and take all of the the pain that went along with that. Losing games. Low attendance. Lower revenue. Because they also looked at the timeline for the Houston Astros. Free agency that they had coming up with some of their core guys. They lose Carlos Correa in the offseason. Some diminished capacity, some of their older guys. A poor farm system. So no impact players really coming up through that. They kind of looked at that, too. And as it sits right now tonight, the Seattle Mariners are a half game back of the Astros, who won tonight in the standings, grouped together with the Angels and A's. I don't think anyone expects the A's to continue to play this well. In fact, they may still trade Manaya and Montas when all is said and done. Uh, the Angels are a different story. You know, they've got some things going for them. We'll, we'll kind of see how things play out there. But... There was a lot of hand-wringing after that first road trip. Mariners take two out of three from the Twins. 
and then lose two out of three or two out of three out of four to the White Sox. But keep in mind, and we a lot was said about this, and I think we see it now. Two good baseball teams, two playoff teams of a year ago, on the road in bad weather. Really bad weather. That game that Robbie Ray started last week shouldn't have been played. And you look at the rotation, and everyone now has gone two times. Ray tonight goes for his third time. And Ray had the one, I guess you could call it a bad outing in Chicago, but again, extenuating circumstances, pouring rain. That game shouldn't have been played against a good lineup on the road. Uh, But he was good in his first start. He was really good tonight. And then the only other bad start of the year was Marco Gonzalez's first turn against the Twins was terrible, but was terrific the other day. Really bounced back and looked like the Marco Gonzalez that we know. Logan Gilbert, two times out. It's been borderline dominant. Matt Brash has been really great as a rookie. Had a, Watched him pitch on Sunday. Had kind of a nuke Lelouch type outing. Walked, I think, five guys. Got a bunch of double plays, but didn't give up any hard hits. And really hung in there and battled. Does not look like a rookie in his makeup at all. So I kind of wanted to go over a couple of those things. Uh, Best things I saw, worst things I saw over the weekend and the first week and a half. Uh, Best things I've seen, let's start with the positive, right? The pitching, up and down. We just talked about the rotation. That bullpen too. There was some concern that maybe this year some guys would regress, that maybe Paul Sewald was sort of lightning in a bottle last year. Same with Drew Steckenrider. That uh, some of the issues with Diego Castillo, um... Uh, last year with his ability to, or inability to get value from the fastball and have to rely too much on that slider um, might have carried over into the season. Certainly doesn't appear that way at all. Um, Seawald looks good as ever. Second rider looks as good as ever. And maybe the revelation in that bullpen is Andres Munoz. Um, Through the fastest pitch in Mariner history, uh, on that road trip, 102.8 miles an hour. We watched him pitch on Sunday, and he was hitting 101 with regularity. And he's got that slider, and the command looks better. Two years removed now from Tommy John surgery. He looks like a dominant pitcher. Uh, there's so much depth there. They've barely used Eric Swanson and Justice Sheffield. Um, and they still don't have Ken Giles. Imagine, as good as Ken Giles looked... In spring training, again, coming off Tommy John surgery himself. Um, that could be a just a terrific bullpen. It's already great. And it could be even better. Um, when you look at the lineup, there were certainly some concerns. Uh, let's talk about worst things I've seen. One of those was Jared Kelnick. First five, six games, that road trip really looked out of sorts was talking again about being too much in his head, pressing too much, which extremely frustrating um, because we know that was the issue last year. And he talked in spring training at length about being more relaxed, slowing things down, not pressing too much. So to hear him say that again after five, six games, a little bit of a red flag for me. But since then, last game of the road trip, hit the home run off the foul pole, barely missed another one, had a two-hit game. Sunday, had a two-hit game, and looked like he was going up the middle the other way again. Had a had a really nice base hit where he, he went the other way. Had another one where he broke his bat, but he was clearly trying to go the other way. Hit another home run tonight off the foul pole screamer down the right field line. Now, what makes it, what gives us confidence that Jared Kelnick may be pulling out of that, whatever was kind of, messing with him that first week. And the struggles we saw from him last year before he was sent back down to Tacoma, and even when he came back up the second time, struggled for a bit, before he had that phenomenal September when they were in the midst of a playoff run, is Mike Blowers has talked repeatedly over the last week about how Kelnick is starting to cover the fastball. And the struggles he was having that first week were related to the fact that he was missing on the fastball. And he wasn't missing by much. He was fouling it off. He was hitting foul balls. He was yanking it. He was pulling it foul. He's covering the fastball now. 
And when he's doing that, then it makes him less susceptible to the breaking ball. If he if he gets back to where he's dialed in, not missing on the fastball, he can at least get to that point where he's a viable part of that rotation or that that lineup. I still believe Jared Kelnick has has he may not be the superstar that we were hoping for when we traded for him from the Mets, but he's going to be a damn good player and a really important part of that lineup and a guy who hits closer to, to the middle of that lineup. And I think he's close. Um, it was a little tough watching Julio Rodriguez on that road trip as well, especially because he was lost on the breaking ball. But what was cool to see, and we saw him get a base hit for an RBI on Sunday. What was cool to see was how he adjusted to that. Guess what? He started taking the breaking ball, not hacking at it. And then he started looking for it more, started being a little more patient. Um, His ability to recognize pitches looks, for his age, uh, to be pretty advanced. And his at-bats have been good. He does not look overmatched. You look at the stats, not great. But he doesn't look overmatched. I'm not sure we're at the point where we think he needs more time in AAA. Now, a month from now, when Kyle Lewis is healthy, presumably, and ready to come up, might be a different story. If Julio's still struggling then, it may make sense to send him back down to AAA. Somewhere he's, he's never had an at-bat in AAA. Only spent a half season in AA. So he, he may still have to go down again before he comes back up and really puts things together. But, but I think we've seen, he had a diving catch in center field the other day. He's stolen a couple of bases. We've seen all the tools. And it's a lot to get excited about. One of the tough things to watch has been Jesse Winker. Not because he looks lost at the plate. His peripherals look good. His strikeout rate's low. He's getting on base. He has, a, I think his on-base percentage is, is 400. Um, he's just not hitting the ball with authority right now. He's had some balls that he thought were out, out of the ballpark. And haven't been. But I don't think there's any question, given his track record, Jesse Winker's going to hit. It's only a matter of time. And in the meantime, again, he's having good at-bats. Now, some of the best things I've seen, uh, Adam Frazier really starting to heat up. He had the great opening night, 4-5. for Looks like a legitimate leadoff hitter, a guy that really controls the zone, hits to all fields, has a little bit of pop in his bat, but doesn't look to punish the baseball. Um... I really hope he's a guy, and we'll talk about this more as the season progresses. I hope he's a guy that the Mariners are thinking about extending because I could see him being the Mariners' second baseman long-term. Um, and Eugenio Suarez. For all of the talk of disappointment from Mariner fans who wanted us to go out and spend a jillion dollars on the free agent market and thought it was a failure of them when they didn't do so, And they turned around and made the trade with the Reds. Brandon Williamson and a couple other prospects for Winker and Suarez. They didn't look closely enough at Suarez's numbers. I sat next to a guy at the game on Sunday who admitted the same thing. He looked at his numbers from the last couple of years. 2019, he stunk. Uh, Excuse me, 2020. 2021, his numbers across the board didn't look good. But when you look closer and you realize that he had a severe case of COVID in 2020, and the 2020 season was an outlier anyway, it was tough for a lot of players. And then you look at 2021, you look at his last two months, and he mashed. Yeah, he struggled for three, four months. The Reds are also playing him way out of position at shortstop. That dude has no business playing shortstop. Unless the other three guys in your roster that can play a little shortstop break their legs in the same game. Um, and he's, he's no gold glove candidate at third either. But he's passable there. He's capable there. And probably more comfortable there. But the last two months of last season, he mashed. And when you look at the last four seasons in Major League Baseball, guess who has more home runs than anybody? Eugenio Suarez. He's not an all or nothing guy either. He's not just a swing and miss guy. Ball he hit out tonight for his third home run as a Mariner was on an 0-2 pitch. John Gray was trying to waste a pitch away. Breaking ball slider off the plate. 
Suarez took a nice, easy swing at it, hit it 415 feet to center field for a three-run home run. The dude could legitimately be an upgrade over Kyle Seeger, who everybody wanted us to retain, and cost less money. Good player. Uh, a lot to like. One other thing I wanted to touch on, too. I'm in love with the fact that Luis Torrance has really established his value on this roster as a catcher again. Caught the game on Sunday. I got to see a lot of cool stuff on Sunday. Caught the game on Sunday. Looked really capable behind the plate. Threw a guy out at second base on a, on a strikeout. Throw him out. His framing looks better. His blocking looks better. They have him catching Matt Brash, who StatCast said through the first week of the season had the nastiest stuff in the major leagues. He's breaking stuff. He's all over the place. Torrance is back there blocking stuff, looking really capable, moving around, looking athletic. For some reason last year, he struggled catching, and so they essentially took that away from him the last half of last year. Had him just focus on being a right-handed bat, and he really established himself there. And there was some thought that moving forward, he would be a DH only or a guy that can play first base every once in a while or maybe third base in a pinch in an emergency. Has reestablished himself as a catcher to the point that he's a viable part of that of that three-headed monster that they have. It's not a monster. But with Tom Murphy and Cal Raleigh, and there's questions about all three of those guys. But it gives you so much value there behind the plate. And so far, Scott Service, the way he's divvied up those at-bats, is, has done a really nice job. And they've all contributed in some way. Raleigh has a home run. Murphy's off to a decent start with the bat. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that position plays itself out as we move forward. My favorite thing, though, I've talked about Adam Frazier, but Adam Frazier and Ty France at the top of that order, that combo's been great. Um, Hanniger's been out with COVID for the last couple of days. Eligible to come back Thursday. Haven't heard how he's feeling, if he'll be ready to come back Thursday. But two more against the Rangers and then the Kansas City Royals coming in this weekend. Uh, nice way to finish out the homestand. Coming into this uh, three-game set against the Rangers and the Royals, those two teams were a combined 5-12. and A little bit of a soft landing. Don't need to rush Hanniger back if he's not feeling up to it on Thursday, but he'll be eligible to come back after sitting out for five days. Uh, so lots to like about where the Mariners are at at this point of the season. Uh, let's do this now. Let's have some fun. Um, we are going to do, well, it's NFL draft season. And this all changed quite a bit two months ago, when a month and a half ago, six weeks ago, when the Mariners uh, traded Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos, right? Changed their draft capital for sure. An additional second round pick, additional fifth round picks. So they have back-to-back -back picks in the second and fifth round and a first round pick in the top 10, which is something that the Seahawks haven't had for a very long time. Um, so it makes this exercise a lot more fun. I might not have picked up a single draft magazine or done a single mock draft if the Wilson trade hadn't been done. And all the Seahawks were looking at is a second and a third and two fourths, I think, at the time. Uh, this makes it a lot more fun. What we're going to do is we're going to do this live. I've been playing around with a lot of these mocks. And I'm going to use some information, too. I want to touch on this first before we get started. And for those of you, let's start the screen share here. Let's see. Let's go here. So this is there are a bunch of really great mock draft simulators out there. And I like to mix it up and use different ones from time to time. And, and the reason is because they all have their strengths and weaknesses, right? Um, some are better for their big board. Some are better for their draft tool or their, their trade tool. I'm sorry. Some, just the interface is easier to use. I like the draft networks as a whole better. I think it's more comprehensive. Um, I think their reports are better. I think their rankings seem to match up a little bit closer to what the Daniel Jeremiah's and the Bucky Brooks and some of the, the Mel Kuypers and Todd McShay's and, and the Dane Bruglers and, and the really well-respected longtime draft experts out there putting together their big boards. They seem to be more in line with those guys. I also like the trade tool. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with it, and we'll get into that when we start it. But it offers trades to you. All the other tools... Uh, for the most part, allow you to offer trades, but you kind of have to do the work yourself. You have to pull out the trade value chart, make sure you're offering something that works. Um, I do like Pro Football Focus's 
um, simulator if you're looking to dive into the rest of them. The other ones I like are the Pro Football Network and Mock Draft Database. Um, and if you want to go really old school, you'll firstpick.com, although they're still a little archaic. They're still hanging on to the past. Pro Football Focus is cool because you can force any trade. You can also trade current players for picks. So back when it was, there was a lot of talk that DJ Metcalf might be traded. Uh, you could literally go back and walk through some of those scenarios. Hey, maybe the Jets want to give us a fourth pick for Metcalf. That was a rumor for a while. You could force that trade and then kind of see what it looks like. But I like the draft network overall. So what we're going to do is we're going to launch this. Uh, so we just go mock drafts. We start a mock draft. You pick your team. It's really um, intuitive and user-friendly. You can pick what speed you want. I always pick fast. And then we're going to go a full seven rounds. We're going to start the draft. Now, once I start the draft, at any given point, teams could call and offer to trade up to our pick at nine. And that's, I mentioned that I have a love-hate relationship with this, with this um, interface. It's one of the things I don't love because it's incessant. <laughs> At times, you will get call after call after call after call. 10, 15 picks before your pick from teams looking to trade up. Um, I'm not, uh, or, or, or I'm sorry, looking to trade back, wanting you to trade up. I'll entertain some trade back offers. I don't want to mess with trading up right now. Um, but I want to touch on this. It has been thought for weeks, I think. The general consensus among those who follow the Seahawks uh, cover the Seahawks, that that this going after a quarterback with number nine or in the first round this year doesn't seem to be the plan. I talked about it on my last show that I don't think it is a plan and I don't want it to be the plan. I would prefer that we use the extra draft capital this year and I'm in favor of trading down from nine unless a certain player or two falls there, adding more draft capital. Because keep in mind, this is been thought of as one of the deepest and most talented drafts in a very long time because so many players opted to take that extra year of eligibility and stay in school last year that would have come out because of COVID and a shortened scouting season and less tape and smaller sample size and all of that. Uh, lower salary cap, some of those things played a factor too. Um, and so the value in the third and fourth and even fifth and sixth round in this draft is insane. So a lot of teams were reluctant to trade draft picks in this year's draft. And it may have even played into the Seahawks' reluctance last year to trade Russell Wilson because they didn't see future picks, or they didn't see picks in last year's draft as holding as much value as they did in the future. Um, so we're going to walk through some of that. But my preference is that they focus on quarterback next year. Right? C.J. Stroud, uh, uh, the kid from Alabama, um, Levis, the kid from Kentucky, um, Yurkovich from Boston College. There's there's five, six guys right now that are being considered legitimate first-round quarterbacks next year, whereas there's lots of questions about this year's class. There's some intriguing talents, guys you can talk yourself into, but a lot more question marks. None of them are considered slam dunks, sure things. Uh, but... You never know what the Seahawks are going to do. And we saw what happened when the Seahawks, and John Schneider in particular, fell in love with a quarterback at a time when, when it was thought that it was going to be hard to find a quarterback where they drafted in that season. That was 2012 when they took Russell Wilson in the third round. They thought he was a game-changing type player. If they fall in love with one of these guys in the same way, they could go quarterback this year. And Jason Lockenford of CBS Sports says he's hearing that they just might do that. And that, in fact, he got specific enough to say if either Malik Willis of Liberty or Kenny Pickett out of Pitt is there at nine, the Seahawks may be inclined to take him. And the way he framed that was if they're both off the board at nine, the Seahawks want to move back. So... Do they like the Russell Wilson-esque ceiling and playmaking ability of Willis and think that behind, you know, not having to play right away and going with Drew Locke this year, that he might make some sense high in the draft? Or that Kenny Pickett, who kind of has some Matt Ryan in him, as a big guy who's accurate, throws a good deep ball, can move around really well, 
really smart, sees the field well, that he might be that point guard mentality type of quarterback that Pete Carroll loves so much. Interesting report from Jason Lockenfora, who over the years has been very connected to the Seahawks camp and has reported a lot of things that turned out to be really accurate. So I'm going to take that approach. I haven't throughout this mock draft season. But if one of those guys is there at nine, I'm going to draft him today. And then we'll do this again next week, the week before the draft, and we'll do my dream scenario which is no quarterback this year, at least not in the first round. There's some guys in the second round that I would consider. Okay, so first of all, I just want to get that out of the way. Uh, Different story if both those guys are taken because that's going to push some good players down the board. And if a certain player gets pushed to nine, I'm staying there and taking him. But if the quarterbacks go and the two or three guys that I would take at nine are gone, then I'm going to look to trade back. All right, let's do this. And I'm going to switch this around a little bit so that you can see more of the simulator. Uh, Why did I go there? We're going to start the draft. Okay, so... Okay. So, Malik Willis uh, was taken number two by Detroit. Kenny Pickett's still there. So as I said, and on and on their big board, and you can you can filter it by player. They've got Pickett ranked number 14. But I said I was going to go with the Jason Lock and Forrest scenario because I really want to see how this will play out. You can talk yourself into Kenny Pickett, especially when you go back and watch Jared Goff running the Rams offense, Matt Stafford running the Rams offense. Kenny Pickett. 6'4. Let's look at it. 6'3, 217. The Draft Network uh, compares him to Andy Dalton as a prospect comparison, which is interesting because we know the Seahawks really liked Dalton the year he came out. Um, there's a lot to like about uh, large sample size, played a lot of games. They like his ball placement. Uh, it's impressive uh, how he marries everything together in his release. He has good mobility movement within the pocket, comfortable navigating while keeping his eyes down the field. He looks like a guy that's built well to run that Rams offense and be more of a point guard that Pete Carroll talks about loving in his, in his quarterbacks but also a guy that throws a really good deep ball, and we know how much Pete likes taking the shot. So we're going to take Kenny Pickett. And here's another thing I'm going to say about taking a quarterback early. If you don't agree with it, and here we go again, where now we're going to get all of these offers for teams that want us to trade up. The Steelers are offering us us a bunch. They want us to move up to 20. I'm just going to say no to all these. And this is where you can see, I wish you could turn this option off or customize this a little bit because it does get, see, see what I mean? We're 12 picks away from our pick at 40 in the second round. And all these teams are calling us to trade back to our pick. Um, yeah, if anyone from, from the draft network is listening to this, knock it off. It's really annoying. But this is what I'll say, too, about taking a quarterback this year. If you don't agree with it or don't think it's the right call, and I don't. Um, look, things are different in the NFL. You can take a shot on a guy, and it doesn't set your franchise back 10 years like it used to, or five years. Look at the Arizona Cardinals did. Took Josh Rosen with the 10th pick. Didn't like it. One year later, took Kyler Murray with the first pick. Uh, It's not as damaging. The Seahawks have two first-round picks next year, two second-round picks. They could take Kenny Pickett this year and let him compete with Drew Locke, but if he's not ready yet or they don't think he's ready, Drew Locke could play. You you use the rest of your draft capital, build up the rest of your roster. Then next year, you still have two first-round picks, two second-round picks. If Kenny Pickett looks like the man, and a year from from now, you think he is the next Matt Ryan, and he's the guy you can build around, now you have all that draft capital next year and all that cap space to go build and take care of whatever needs you need around him so that he can succeed. 
while you have a rookie quarterback salary on the books. But there's also this. Maybe you're not sure a year from now. Maybe he shows some things, but you're just not sure. You can still go out and take C.J. Stroud. Right? You can take one of those guys again. You can target the guy you love and get him. Let those guys duke it out. Maybe you get that franchise quarterback next year and pick it still looks good, and you can do what the Green Bay Packers did for years. Mark Brunel, Ty Detmer, Aaron Brooks, trade those guys for picks. Matt Hasselbeck. It's not all or nothing anymore when you take a quarterback in the top 10. So now we got to fill out the rest of the roster, right? We've taken a quarterback. We're one of the biggest storylines in the NFL now. We went Kenny Pickett. Now we're sitting here in the second round, and we have all these other needs. We need offensive linemen. We need both tackles, maybe a long-term center. We need a corner that can play significantly as a rookie and maybe be a building block moving forward. We need an edge rusher or two, either a true edge guy now that we're transitioning a little more to the 3-4 or an outside linebacker type that can get against get to the quarterback. So I'm looking for a couple of things here. And Pete talks specifically about transitioning to the 3-4 and outside linebacker in that spot, and you're going to see how we address that. He was talking about the draft. So we look at what's available on the draft network and their overall board. And I'm really intrigued by Quay Walker, outside linebacker from Georgia. 6'4", 240. That sounds like an inside guy, right? But this guy can run. He's athletic. Here's what uh, draft network says. Uber athletic and rangy linebacker. His impact is felt in the run game, in coverage, and pressing the quarterback, pressuring the quarterback. Uh, Ideal role, Will Linebacker, allowed to run and chase and make plays in space. This is guy's 6'4", 240, and he's an outside guy. Who does that remind you of? Little KJ Wright there for you? Really intrigued by Quay Walker. Now, a lot of, a lot of people would want to go edge here. Uh, Arnold Ebikiti from uh, Penn State's really interesting, but I feel like physically long arms, but not as big, Right. Uh, six two and a half, two fifty. Uh, it seems a little bit too much like Nuosu, the free agent we signed from the Chargers. Uh, your next highest rated edge player got to go down to Camp Thomas, San Diego State. Josh Pascal, Kentucky. Uh, Drake Jackson, USC, who's been mocked pretty extensively. The Seahawks much higher than this. And then Nick Benito, a guy who's listed as an edge, but he's kind of an outside linebacker type as well. Not as tall and not as long. Uh, you can look at the corners here. Certainly. Uh, Roger McCreary, a lot of people like him out of Auburn. He's not really your typical uh, long Seahawk, 5'11", 190, but a guy that really excels in press coverage. I don't love any of those guys. So that's what I'm doing here. I'm going Quay Walker. I'm adding a guy. You got Cody Barton and Jordan Brooks on the inside. Nuosu on the outside, but also Daryl Taylor is going to technically play some outside linebacker. Quay Walker is a guy that is really interesting. Can run sideline to sideline. He's tall and long, but he can stuff the run and play in coverage and stand up on the edge in a four or five man front and get after the quarterback. Sign me up for that. We're going to go Quay Walker there and really give the defense a nice piece. Now we have the immediate next pick. And this is where I think the Seahawks might get a little, might have a little fun. Because we know how they like to target guys at certain levels of the draft. And we looked at the cornerbacks. And there's some intriguing guys that will be available later. They typically don't take corners high. They identify guys they think will fit their scheme. And they take them where they're at better value. This seems like the type of pick. They've addressed a couple of needs. They have what could potentially be their quarterback of the future. They have a foundational piece on defense. I could see them doing something here to piss us off. I could see them going running back. Let me see if, yeah, Brees Hall is still there from Iowa State. Some people think he's the best running back in the draft. Kenneth Walker, the third on Michigan State. Isaiah Spiller, Texas A&M. The three best running backs in the draft are all still on the board. What I think the Seahawks would do here is take one of those guys. What I want them to do is take a tackle. Daniel, Daniel Falele, uh, the giant dude out of Minnesota, would be a right tackle only. He's available. Nicholas Petit-Frere out of Ohio State, 
Uh, outstanding left tackle, but he's more of a finesse player. Uh, would be great in pass protection. Don't know that he's the mauler in the run game the Seahawks would like. Abe Lucas is available. Um, some people think really good athletic testing at the combine. Uh, the kid out of Washington State. But some people think he's a right tackle. Only others think he can play left tackle. But the best tackles are gone. That's the risk you took by taking a quarterback high. When we do this again next week, without the quarterback at the top, you're going to see me trade down, address left tackle, and then we'll go to other positions after that. A lot of developmental guys here. And so that tells me that, you know, maybe there's a guy that Seahawks identify later in the draft as Zach Tom, who can play. Some people think he can play tackle in the league, but also center. Rasheed Walker, a guy we know has met with the Seahawks out of Penn State, who's had some really bad games, but has also played well, played left tackle at Penn State, but seems to be more of a developmental tackle. Dare Rosenthal, who some people have out of Kentucky, a guy that gets to the second level and just mauls people. Kalen Deesh, a guy that the pro... The Draft Network has ranked number 194, but Pro Football Network has ranked, or Pro Football Focus has ranked as a high second rounder. Left tackle out of Arizona State, really good mover, good pass protector. There could be value in guys they identify that fit the scheme later on. I think what would happen here with all these guys left on the board is the Seahawks go running back here. I don't love it, but I can see it, and I think Brees Hall's the guy. Um, I think he's in, he's the guy out of that group that could be the closest to being an every down, do it all back. Not knowing if Rashad Penny can stay healthy and repeat his performance the last five games of last year. Not knowing if Chris Carson's going to get healthy and even be on the roster or stay healthy. They need to address the running back position long term. Uh, more trade offers. Team wanting teams wanting us to trade up. Uh, this lessens as the draft simulator goes along because there just isn't as much value later. Yeah, sorry. Is it annoying to listen to? Now you know why. The one thing about this simulator that, that annoys me. We're now at pick 72 in the third round. And now we need to address some of those needs. Let's look at tackles again. Abe Lucas is still there. Let's look at corners. There's a couple of guys that I like. Mark Emerson out of Mississippi State kind of fits that Seahawks long rangy press corner. But he might be there in the fourth round for them as well. Jalen Watson out of Washington State, a lot of value. We're going to talk about him later. Josh Job, the kid out of Alabama, makes some sense. Kobe Bryant, the second corner, along with Sauce Gardner uh, out of Cincinnati. I'm going to go with the value here, not just, listen, not just because I'm a Coug. Abraham Lucas at this spot is a no-brainer. I don't know how they're going to address left tackle, but we also know that Dwayne Brown hasn't signed with anyone yet. He visited the Panthers. There's been no activity there. We know the Seahawks wanted to bring him back, and Dwayne Brown even said on the record he would like to come back. But that was before Russell Wilson was traded. We haven't heard from him since. But he's still sitting at home unsigned. I suspect that if the Seahawks don't address left tackle in this draft, that Dwayne Brown is still an option. And remember, they drafted Stone Forsyth in the sixth round last year out of Florida. Scouts at the time said, as a pass protector, he could start in the NFL right now. Needed to develop as a run blocker. The Seahawks may still believe that Stone Forsyth is the guy. And I did an exercise earlier this year. I went back and looked at some of the guys after the first three tackles are off the board who most experts think the Seahawks won't have a shot at. Then you're left with guys like Trevor Penning and uh, Daniel Brainerd. And I looked at some of those guys. And then I went back and looked at Forsyth's 2020 tape. And I think it was better. I think it was better than Charles Cross's tape. Similar system, not a lot of run blocking. Have to look at potential there. But as a pass blocker alone, that could be an option. But Abraham Lucas is a plug-and-play guy. Who, he may, he, you may not want him to start as a rookie because he came out of a pass-heavy offense. But his athletic testing and, and his experience, how many snaps he had in college, to me, he's a no-brainer here. If he's a right tackle, only fine. Some scouts believe with his athletic profile, he could play the left side. I'm taking Abraham Lucas here, and I'm addressing tackle. Now, as we get to the fourth round, we're going to have three picks coming up in the fourth and fifth rounds. I have to address corner if I'm the Seahawks, and I want to add another guy that can rush the passer. 
I'd like to also address center. We're going to see what the board looks like. All right, we're at pick 109 in the fourth round. Now, there's still some tackles. If we want to stay there, Rasheed Walker, we again, visited with the Seahawks, still there. Kellen Deesh is still there. Zach Tom is still there. Let's look at the interior offensive line, some center possibilities. Alec Lindstrom is still on the board. Now, this is a guy who something is a little undersized at 6'3 and 296. But if you read his scouting report, three-year starter on the Boston College offensive line that was one of the best offensive lines in all of college football. Um, Two-time, first-time all-CC and is known as a technician. A guy with great technique, moves well, would fit his own blocking system. Who does that sound like? Sounds exactly like Austin Blythe, who the Seahawks just signed as a free agent about a month ago because he's such a fit in that scheme, played for Shane Waldron when he was with the Rams and had some success there. They may think they may see a guy like Lindstrom as a guy that could fit in this offense. Uh, another center I really like, though, who's very much the opposite of Al Lindstrom. Donovan West out of Arizona State, 6'4", 300. This guy's known much more as a mauler, but not a guy who can play only in a phone booth, a guy who can get to the second level and likes to destroy guys. So I think there's some options there. There's some depth there. So I want to look at corner, and I want to look at edge. Now, when we get to edge, uh, there's one name in particular that stands out. It's Michael Clemens. Uh, 6'5", 270, Texas A&M. Uh, he was a JUCO transfer. Edge rusher can effectively set the edge while also applying QB pressure. We know that he has been one of the Seahawks' top 30 visits. And when you look at him on tape, long arms, rangy, runs really well, looks like that Chris Clemens type of end that the Seahawks love. Like that'd be great value there at 117 and a guy that we know that they're interested in. And then when I look at corners, there's still some value there that I still still think is going to be there in the fifth round will fit what the Seahawks are looking for. So we're going to go, I, I think the interior, I'm, I'm hedging, I'm banking on the fact that in the fifth round when we have those back-to-back picks, I may be able to go center and corner there. So we're going to take Michael Clemens because I believe the reports that the Seahawks like him and he seems to really be a fit. He looks like a Seahawks-type player when you watch him on tape. Uh, see what I mean as you get deeper into the draft you don't get as many of those offers to trade up Uh, pick 152 and 153 back to back coming up and let's see how the big board looks first we're going to check the interior offensive line and you know Gamble did not pay off both those guys that I really liked uh, Lindstrom, I knew would be gone, but West is also gone. Um, uh, but we're going to look at corners, and I really you got Josh Job out of corner at, out of Alabama, who one draft analyst said I'd be surprised if the Seahawks didn't come out of this draft with one of the Alabama kids. Uh, Job is six foot one eighty nine, four star recruit coming out of Cheshire Academy, highly rated player. Um, aggressive approach is a tackler has missed caused some missed tackles he's got a rocked up frame but projects as a pure press man style corner where he can reroute and throw off route timing sounds like a Seahawks type player especially with the new scheme where uh, Clint Hurt says they're going to play less zone and more press man but I really like Jalen Watson and again not just because he's a Coug all right I'm not taking two Cougs in this draft just because I'm a Coug but he's 6'2 197 and his athletic testing at the combine uh, was out of this world. A um, little bit raw, a little bit more of a project. Might not be ready to see the field as a starter and play significant snaps right off the bat. But the Seahawks have some depth there. Sidney Jones re-signed for, on another one-year prove-it deal. Played really well the second half of last season. Uh, graded out as, as one of the better corners in the league. Pro football focus. Dre Brown, uh, Trey Brown should be coming back off that patella tendon injury at some point. Looked great when given the opportunity last year. And then they signed Artie Burns, the former first-round pick, who played for Sean Desai in Chicago last year and played well. There is some depth there at corner. Uh, but I like Jalen Watson's upside a little bit better than Josh Job, and he's a longer, 
uh, athlete and he's a better athlete. I'm taking him there. And I think it just kind of seems like a sea hockey type pick at a sea hockey type draft position for a corner. And then because those interior offensive line guys that I liked are gone, uh, I'm going to consider the tackle position again because some of those guys we talked about earlier are still there. And uh, there's three. Max Mitchell, Derek Rosenthal, Kellen Deesh. Max Mitchell is a guy whose stock has seemingly slipped a little bit. Um, good lateral mover, good athlete. There's questions about him in the run game. Kellen Deesh, same kind of thing. Remember, pro football focus has Deesh rated as a high second-round pick. 6'7", 299, could stand to add some bulk. Good balance and body control in the run game. He isn't heavy at the point of attack. He also doesn't earn leverage easily due to his taller frame. Uh, but he's athletic enough to get to the second level and get out to the perimeter in the screen game. In the passing game, he's fluid in his pass set. He only gave up a couple of pressures all last season. That's why pro football focus likes him so much. His pressure percentage allowed is very high. He's a possibility. Dare Rosenthal is interesting. 6'7", 327. Um, and here's a the Draft Network says about him. Kentucky offensive tackle Darryl Rosenthal has the opportunity to become one of the biggest steals of the 2022 draft. And originally enrolled at LSU. Had some issues. Seahawks would have to look into that. Used to play defensive tackle. He's a convert. And you see that in the way he plays. This dude will chase guys down 30 yards downfield and try to maul them. But they believe, they call him a developmental starting left tackle. They believe if you can get the most out of him, that he could be a starter in this league. This is a player who could play in and execute any running concepts you have at your disposal. He's got the range for wide zone, who the Seahawks are going to emphasize more now. The power for gap and short yardage. The open field skills to be involved in sweeps in the screen game and the raw athleticism to take deep pass sets. Getting him to trust his fundamentals will be key, but he's a player with unlimited potential. I'm taking Dare Rosenthal here in the fifth round. And I'm going to let him and Stone Forsyth battle it out for the next year to see who our next starting left tackle is going to be long-term. And I'm going to bring Dwayne Brown back to be the bookend this year. Uh, if we don't get a potential developmental starting center out of this draft, not that worried about it. Remember, we signed Austin Blythe, still just 30 years old. And don't forget about Dakota Shepley, who they signed away from the 49ers last year in camp. He looked so good at center as a pass protector and a run blocker, he could be a guy that's still a developmental guy, developmental guy. And then you have all those picks the next year where you could target center in the draft if you want to, especially if Pickett turns out to be your quarterback. So now we're going to the seventh round. This is the last pick they have in the draft. And I've been doing this the same way every time. You could add a safety. Seahawks like, like to take safeties in the seventh round because uh, they're good special teams, guys. You could take another linebacker, same idea. I'm going to do this all day long. I've been doing it in every draft. I'm taking another running back. I'm taking Max Borgie. We're going to take three kooks. But this one I'm taking in particular because the Seahawks have met with him multiple times. And Max Borgie, to me, he's not an every down back in the NFL by any means. As much as I love the kid. Uh, but he is Christian McCaffrey light in the passing game. Outstanding hands. Runs outstanding routes. Uh, quick feet. Um, good in pass protection. I think great value in the seventh round. And we know the Seahawks, he has said the Seahawks have met with him many times. Um, and he could be a core special teamer as well. So here's what we end up with. We end up with eight picks. We do not trade back at all. So just the eight picks. I like the balance here. And this is what taking a quarterback. You can talk me into Kenny Pickett in this offense. Gets rid of the ball quick. Listen, we're going to have a discussion later on when we find out how they do build this roster. We're going to have a discussion later on about how you might be able to win with Pete Carroll with a lesser quarterback than Russell Wilson, but a guy who operates the offense the way it's intended to be operated. I think you know where I'm going with that. Kenny Pickett is an interesting player. He may never be an all-pro. May never even be a pro bowler but he could be Ryan Tannehill. And if he really develops, he could be Matt Ryan. 
Don't talk to me about small hands. Look at the guy's track record. And imagine if this did work and you didn't have to go quarterback next year with two firsts and two seconds. Imagine and a hundred plus million dollars in cap space. And now you know you have your franchise quarterback and some other pieces here we're going to talk about in a second. It's a great position to be in. But also, if he's not, you can address it again next year. Then in the second round, you go Quay Walker, an uber-athletic linebacker. You think about him and Barton and Brooks and Nwosu and Taylor. Wow. That's an impressive linebacker crew. Guys that can cover, guys that can get after the quarterback from all different angles and directions. And then you get Brees Hall, maybe the best running back in the draft. Big guy with breakaway speed. Physical runner can get outside and catch the ball. Team in with Rashad Penny. But but this is your guy long-term. Abe Lucas, long-term starting right tackle, might be able to play left tackle. Michael Clemens, a really rangy, long uh kind of that classic Seahawks-Leo build edge. Uh, Jalen Watson, a uh, guy who looks every bit the part of traditional Seahawk long boundary corner who wouldn't have to be pressured to play right away as a rookie but could be a long-term developmental starter. Dare Rosenthal, who the draft network says could be one of the biggest steals of the draft as a potential starting left tackle long-term in the fifth round. And then Max Borgie, a third down back pass-catching specialists, uh, and special teams guy. Um, so that's fun, right? Check out the Draft Network uh, for their uh, for their mock draft simulator and play around with it yourself. You don't have to pay. Um, you can just hop in there and get to work. The Draft Network, and then hit mock drafts. Start your own. Um, next week, I'm going to do this again without taking a quarterback and with trade downs. And all that stuff that I really would want them to do. This was more of what I think they might do, right? The running back in the second round makes sense. If they go quarterback based on Lock and Fora's report. Um, this seems more like a Seahawkey type draft. Next week we'll do what I think they should do. And we'll recap week two and a half for the Mariners. All right. Thanks for tuning back in. I am Dan Viennes. This is the Emerald City Sportscast. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Uh, send me your questions. Let me know what you want me to discuss on next week's show. Uh, check out the YouTube channel and subscribe so you get notifications of uh, future episodes. You can interact with me there as well. Until then, 